We have uh, stopped our study about uh, 11 or 12 weeks ago in of 1 Corinthians, and we've taken some time to deal with a, a theme, what I call, for Christians only, the life of grace. Um, today will be the uh, last message, and on Christmas Day, uh, we will pick up uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Uh, but I do pray that if you have not had an opportunity to uh, hear this series, uh, that you can get access to either the uh, tapes or CDs, uh, or uh, you can get online uh, at the website. And I don't know, I think the last five are always online or last four are always there. And you can download and listen to them if you've got a sound card in your uh, computer. Um, we're going to start, and we're going to finish, I guess, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, I'll pick those up and read them in a few minutes, but I'm going to ask the Lord now uh, to teach us and to help us. Father, we come to hear you. Lord, we come to know your ways, to know your will. Father, we come... Because of your grace. We are sanctified because of your grace. We serve because of your grace. And yet, Father, this grace is so overwhelming. Father, I pray that we can grasp just a little more this day of what it is that uh, your people who are called by your name stand in. Father, may we understand that it is only sufficient for life. Father, may we rest there in the midst of whatever circumstance we stand this day. Father, we praise you for a season that many, oh so many, are looking. And yet, your people of grace are there, are empowered, and are steadfast. And I praise you and thank you. Father, open our hearts that we may hear. Father, open our souls that, may we, that we may be refreshed, that we may be steadfast. Father, may we walk worthy. May we walk in your power and your power only. Father, may we continue weakness that you may be strong. Father, may we hunger and thirst for you. May we be overwhelmed by you. May you be our desires. May you be our passion. To your glory and praise. Amen. We started this text a couple of three weeks ago. And I wanted you to see this and we'll pick it up. But I want to take you back a few weeks, a few months, to a quote that I had received that I had gotten from Dr. MacArthur at Grace Community Church. Okay, And I want to read the quote and then I want to pick up where we were. Here's the quote. Now, I've been all over the world, as you know, and have had a lot of discussions with a lot of Christian leaders, and I've read a lot of things about the church and the history of the church and the theology of the church, and I've been all over, and I can tell you this, right now, in this day, and it's been this way for a long time throughout the most of the 20th century, the biggest problem in the church 
is its inability and unwillingness to distinguish true Christians from false. It's literally killing the church. Unquote. Okay, now that's a man who's been in one pulpit for roughly, I think he's 36 years. Did you know that he was thrown in jail for preaching the gospel? You know what country he was thrown in jail in? United States. In Alabama, he was thrown in jail. You know why? He preached at a black church and they arrested him. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? But I, I, I want us to think about it because as I've, I've shared this with you and I've shown this to you and we've gone through this and I showed you that it's for Christians only. One of the things that we've been looking at is that we've been delivered. A Christian has been delivered. A Christian has been altered. A Christian, a true child of God has been delivered from the lie to truth. Okay, so a true Christian is going to have this vacuum that they want to fill with truth. I hear people saying, well, we need to get them to read their Bible. You shouldn't have to. A true Christian should crave truth. A Christian has been delivered from sin to righteousness. Sin no, ma- no longer has dominion over me. A true Christian is victorious over what sin? All sin. All sin. But a true Christian has also been delivered from the temporal to the eternals. You need to understand the temporals. We talk about the temporals, you know, that's this, this world. It's temporary. It's temporary. How much energy do you put and invest into the temporary things? How much energy do you invest in the eternals? And these mark are distinctions of a Christian that are marked or noted in the world looks at and can't figure out. The angelic host, Peter tells us, looks on and tries to understand they can't even grasp this. They were there when the stars were flung into the heaven. And yet the redemption of this sinful man is mind-boggling for the angels. They don't understand it. They know God has power infinite. But to redeem sinful man? Okay, but then to make sinful man clothed in Christ-likeness? What power must this God truly have? That's the angels. And when I read that quote from Dr. MacArthur, and I look at the body of Christ this day, what do you see? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and I'm going to go back to this one, but I just want you to think about this because it says, God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine through the power that works within him, within you. Okay? Do you understand that? Let me ask you a question. Does your life look like A God who spoke existence into being is doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could think or ask. And that's what I'm trying to deal with right now. Okay? Because here in this text, okay, 2 Corinthians, you've got to understand 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is ministry. Okay? This is what the ministry is all about. I boast in nothing but Christ. 
Okay? Think about what we boast in on a daily basis. How many of you, when it comes to that time, that review, that employee review, what is it you boast in? If you're looking for a job, who do you boast in? You see what I'm trying to get at? We've bought the system. Does the church of Christ truly look like her Savior, or does she look like the world? I am really struggling these days with seeing the church trying to do what the world does better. The church is not in the marketing business. The church is not into demographics. The church is not into certain societal patterns. The church is a supernatural entity. The church is the only supernatural entity that has the absolute ability to deal with the destiny, the eternal destiny of every man, woman, and child that is ever born or will ever be born. Who is adequate for such things, Paul says. But when I think about it, we who take the name or we we like to hang titles on people, we talk about things that we describe... Um, fundamentalist, fundamentalist evangelicals and all kinds of things like that. <clears throat> when I think about those terms, one of them that is our foundation is, is that we have been saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, so that no man can boast. We believe that it is faith that saves us. And, and I agree. I give a hearty amen to that. Too many times when we say that phrase, we focus on the faith side of it. Don't get me wrong. That is important. But what is grace? And that's what we've been dealing with. What is grace? When we say we have a life of grace, what does that mean? Well, that is unmerited favor. Well, but what does that mean? Unmerited favor. Well, let me show you and tell you what it means. Grace are the abilities and the resources of heaven. That's grace. Who here can say, I deserve the abilities and the resources of heaven? None. But the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 of the book to the Ephesians says, You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Okay, He has, in chapter 2, lavished it on you. I like that word. I like that word. That means you got way more than what you need. I have seen some people who wear makeup and they lavish their makeup on themselves. Some of them need to. It's important. Okay? Some I look at and think there's not enough. Okay? But this grace in which we exist, now you've got to hear this, is conditional. What? Very conditional. His grace is never owed to his child if his child is not on mission. Please understand that. God did not pour his grace on you so that you could have fun. He's not here concerned about your entertainment. He is here concerned about the mission. The Apostle Paul in 7 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 12 says, I understand God's grace more than any man. And I'm on mission. I'm on mission. I know what I'm here about. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And we looked at that two weeks ago. Last week we started looking at it 
But to whose glory? I give you some challenges after that. Whose glory? Whose glory? Think about that for a second. Too many of us are concerned about our comfort. Too many of us are considered about our jobs, our education, material things. I think there's too many in the Western church today who, if we're really honest with ourselves, are not ready to pay the price. Okay? You have been saved by grace through faith. Okay? But I have to ask you a question. How much did it cost you? How much did it cost you? You are not your own. You've been bought and paid for the price. Okay? You know what that means? Your attitudes, your actions, your plans, the things that you look at down the pike, they are not yours. They're not Christ. They, Christ has taken those places. You know, I heard Dr. MacArthur make the statement one night. He says, it's like God came in and changed all the price tags. Everything that used to be valuable to me is no longer valuable. Things that seem silly to me are now very important to me. See, Paul knew what the center of his attention was. Let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. This is the last message of this series. Okay? We have a life of grace. It is already ours. What's the center of your attention? What's the center of your attention? Your outline there says what he does. And the second part of your outline says what do we do? And that's what we're dealing with right now. See, we have grace for specific purpose. Instead of throwing grace around flippantly, always think about it from this perspective. Grace is the ability and the resources of God. Period. That's all it is. It's the abilities and the resources of God. This text says that that is only sufficient. That is only sufficient. And this message, uh, the means here, um, who gets the credit? If his grace is his abilities and resources for everything, then when all is said and done, who gets the credit? He does. You know, I want you to think about this. If you have a job and you have, let's say you had a really cool job. I don't, I don't know what a cool job would be. But let's say you had a cool job. Okay, and you, you make very good money and you've got good benefits and you've got all this other stuff. And, and it takes a certain talent to do that. Um, who gets the glory? Be real careful. I know where you're sitting today. And you all sit there and say, well, I'm in church today. God gets the glory. Really? Well, I tell you what. The truth of the matter is he does get the glory. And if not, he will crush you. And he'll take the glory. Okay? And I don't say that to hurt people. But when I see people stand up and start saying, look what I have done, I think about Nebuchadnezzar. Look what I have accomplished. Well, go eat some grass, Nebuchadnezzar. And when you get done in seven years, come back and say, yes, God of Israel is great. The God of Israel is great. I, I, I'm really tired. I am hurt. I am discouraged that I see the church doing what the world does better. I have a chance to meet on a regular basis with a number of different pastors and uh, there's a core of us who come together and pray every Thursday, and it's, it's just a phenomenal time. I'm watching men being pruned. But we had a little Christmas thing 
Um, somebody emailed everybody out and said there was going to be eggnog there. And we had a plethora of these men. And if you had sat and listened to the conversation, you would have heard nothing that you would not heard in any given boardroom in America today. And I found myself sitting over in the corner by myself, not talking to anybody. Because it dawned on me I had nothing to say. I have nothing in common with a great number of you, those people. What is the glory? What, when I am manifesting the glory of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? What does it look like? Um, too many today believe that that manifestation is a big crowd. Is that truly his glory? If that's true, then today should be one of the greatest, glorious days for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how many stadiums will be packed with huge numbers of people today for the glory of a football team? For a football team? They will set in frigid weather for a football team? For a football team. Is that his glory? So I, I, I want us to think about the challenges here. I got to ask the first challenge, I guess, is do you long to see God do something that only God can get credit for? Do you long for that? He says that here because of the surpassing greatness of revelations for this reason. Now stop right there. The Apostle Paul in verse 7 says, I had some revelations. Okay? Things were revealed to Paul that were surpassing in their greatness. That would be probably the greatest understatement of the world, right? But he says, to keep me from what? Exalting himself. Look at the end of verse 7. To keep me from exalting myself. Twice. He says, because of what the Lord had revealed to me, because of what God had showed me, he needed to keep me from exalting myself. So the first challenge I have to ask is, how many times do you feel like touching the glory? How many times do you want to say, I'm getting credit for it. I did good. Listen, we we believe that the only way that you can be effective in the ministry is that if you've been to Bible college or seminary or something to that effect, and therefore now you are ready. You know what I've learned? In some cases, that's the height of arrogance. That's the height of arrogance. What seminary did Peter graduate from? What Bible college did Peter go to? He didn't. He said, here I am. Here I am. Okay? <clears throat> Too many of us, where did that system come from? Okay? I, I call it the westernization of Christianity. Who gets credit? Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated at times when I hear about the, the, the quote-unquote spiritual awakening that is happening in Africa. Uh, the spiritual awakening that is happening in Russia, that is happening in India. When, when I hear those things, you know, I, I praise you, Lord, but 
right behind that thought comes this. Why not here? Did the Holy Spirit vacate North America and go to Africa? Where is the Holy Spirit? And I can tell you the answer to that. Jesus will share his glory with no one. And I believe that, as Spiros Zodiades said, and I have to agree with, no time in the history of the church has she been as haughty as she is right now in North America. See, Paul understood that his ministry, what he did, Think about ministry in this perspective. Ministry is service. Paul understood that his service for the Lord Jesus Christ, only one person got the glory. Okay? I mean, I've been struggling with some things personally. It would seem that the churches that were truly blessed by by God that the Apostle Paul ministered to, were the ones that he was at the shortest amount of time. Thessalonica is still in existence today. Okay, still today. And according to my history study, it has never not had a, a visible manifestation of Jesus Christ in that area, ever. And he was only there about three months. And yet, it was a very strong church, persecuted church. It was such a persecuted church that somebody told them that they were in the day of the Lord, the judgment of Jesus Christ, and they believed that they might be in it. If somebody come and told me today that I was in the judgment of Jesus Christ, I'd think that they need to go on some kind of drugs. This is not persecution. But Paul understood that <clears throat> only one got the glory in his ministry. Okay? Here's an issue I want you to look at. Between the two phrases, exalting myself to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a what? A thorn. A thorn. A pain. Okay? All right? He, he was to live with it. He was to live with this pain. Why? Who gets the glory? Christ does. Christ does. Let me ask you a question. When I think about pain, I can categorize it into two, two columns. Pain. Okay? Pain will always fit in these two. Physical and emotional. Okay? You don't get anything different. You have physical pain, you have an emotional pain. That's all you get. That's it. Physical and emotional pain. Okay, how many times when you're in either of those two categories, physical or emotional pain, do you try to get out of it? Okay, how many people do you see when they are in a painful situation is a desire to get out of it? Okay, but what if the pain is to manifest Christ, his ability and his resources? You ever thought about that? Why? Who gets the glory? Christ does. Christ does. Well, I'm on mission. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't forget mission. Mission is simple. Why? He says you can't handle complicated. 
As you are going, make disciples of all nations, teaching them the things I have taught you, and lo, I have taught with you always. Okay? He doesn't say pastors go and make disciples. He doesn't say Sunday school teachers go and make disciples. He doesn't say Sunday school directors or evangelists go and make disciples. He says if you are a Christian, there should be an overwhelming desire in you to duplicate. The Apostle Paul in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians says, The things that you have heard, received, learned, and what? Seen. What? Do these things. How do you like to do that? How would you like to sit and say, Lord, see these people? They act just like me. Because that's discipleship. That's discipleship. And Paul was a follower of Jesus Christ. So what you saw in Paul, you saw in Christ. What you saw in Timothy, you saw in Paul, you saw in Christ. And that's discipleship. That's the mission. But in that mission, you share the glory. I see this over and over today. Our, our industry, our, and I say that the church has become an industry now. Has become an industry now. There's a guy in Colorado Springs who believes that he is classified by the press, the lost press, as the most influential um, evangelical preacher in America today. And he, he gets the Christians out to vote. That's his big thing. And no, it's not Jim Dobson. Jim Dobson is not a preacher. Okay, but he gets the, gets them out to vote. Okay, and I seen him on an interview with uh, Brokaw. And he says, how do you get them out to vote? He says, it's easy. He says, Christians vote every Sunday with their feet. Where they attend is the, how they vote. And he smiled real big and says, and it's all right, I'm winning right now. And I thought, oh, my word. that gets get you in trouble. Okay. First challenge. Is my life bearing fruit? It's manifesting things that I cannot take credit for. Glorious things to the Lord Jesus Christ that I cannot take credit for because he shares not his glory. Second thing, am I willing to, so willing to surrender to Christ's sovereignty? Okay. Verse 7 says, to keep me from being exalted. Okay. Puffed up. To keep me from being puffed up. Okay. What? There was some kind of physical infirmity. Okay, it could have been a person. You know, I watch people and they get all kind of crazy on this. What is this? You know, is it a, is it a person? Is it that some people said he had an eye problem? Um, uh, you know, I don't, that ain't the issue. He doesn't tell me what it is. But I can tell you when it says it was a messenger of Satan to torment me, the word torment me the, means to strike upside the head. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that's pain. Okay, but the thing that we need to understand here is Paul was on mission, wasn't he? He was on mission, and yet there was this physical problem that would, what? Try to stop him. Try to stop him. Let me show you how effective this was. Turn over one chapter, chapter 11 of this letter. 
verses 23 through 28. Okay, he's talking about the other apostles. The people were attacking the apostle Paul. They couldn't attack his message, so they attacked the person. So in verse 23, he says this, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I speak as if insane. I like that phrase. I more so, and far more labors, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Okay? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from the city, dangers in the wilderness and dangers in the sea and dangers from among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. Stop right there. Okay. Now let me ask you a question. If you read that about a man of God in today's model, is he successful? Your first response is going to be the same responses as Job's buddies. Job, dude, what are you doing so wrong that God has beaten you senseless? Hurry up and repent. And yet the Apostle Paul says, I'm on mission. I'm on track. I am, I am literally being successful. Okay? You see that? He's understanding whose sovereignty? God's sovereignty. But now I need you to look at verse 28. Okay? What he just shares there. Now listen at your lives. Listen at your prayer. Listen at your concerns. And you will fall into this first phrase. Apart from such external things. You see that? He says, that's just the external things. That's the things that you and I would call temporal. Those are the things that I call temporary. They're just temporary things. Here's what he's overwhelmed with. There's a daily pressure on me and concern of what? Let me ask you a question today. What's your concern for the church? The bride of Christ. Do you have a concern for her? Or do you figure she can do it without you? You know, it's really weird because Jesus said, I will build my... And the abode of the dead can't stop it. The gates of hell can't stop it. You can kill them and you can't stop it. Okay, where else is he working? What about parachurch organizations? No, he's not there. They're busy, absolutely, but what are you building with? We looked at that first Corinthians. Gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble? One of the things that is maybe the most discouraging things as a pastor is the lack of concern that people have for the church. They have no concern for the church. They have no concern for the church. Yet the Apostle Paul did. 
He was discouraged. He was frustrated. You know what? That overwhelmed him as much as being shipwrecked. That overwhelmed him as much as being beaten with rods. That overwhelmed him as much as being stoned and left for dead. Whatever suffering fits in this text, I have to ask you a question. Some of you right now are in suffering. It may be physical suffering. It may be emotional suffering. But I've got to ask you a question. In that suffering, are you on mission? Is your primary focus in your life to make disciples? As I am going is the way the text reads in the 28th chapter of Matthew. As I am going, I am concerned about making disciples. As I am going. Because if that's true, then you have to ask yourself, is the suffering physical or emotional? Is it because I'm trying to touch the glory Or is it because he's chastening me because I'm not on mission? If you can truly in your heart rule both of them out, then you can drop to the throne room of Jesus Christ and say, Hallelujah! You are going to show your grace in a way that you don't get to show it in the average Christian. Because I will be in the midst of this suffering because I'm not sharing the glory. I'm on mission and I can know that your grace is only sufficient. And it's really cool because in my weakness, your strength is perfected. I like that. That's the life of grace. It sits there and it says, you know what? Whatever's going on, I'm on mission. I'm not taking the glory of any of this stuff. And you know what? It hurts. But he is so faithful that his grace is only sufficient. Now look, look what it says here. It says there was a messenger of Satan to strike him. A messenger of Satan to strike him. Okay? Now think about that for a second. Where... Did the thorn come from? Where did it come from? This striking upside the head. Where did it come from? God gave it to him. God gave it to him. And you know what it was? It was literally a messenger from Satan. A messenger from Satan. It's like a, it's like a good trivial question. Who killed Jesus? God did. What? Yeah, God did. Why? You couldn't figure it out, so God did. Okay, now I want you to think about this for a second. If Satan's involved in the equation, whose glory does he want to get? So he would want Paul to have God's glory, wouldn't he? So God is using the enemy of the cross to validate the power of the cross. I like that. He would want Paul to be puffed up. Now, Paul was that guy. Now, I don't know whether it was in spirit or in the flesh who was taken up to the third heaven and saw things there that he could not repeat. Okay. Now, that would be to the exceeding of the revelations. Yeah, Paul had things revealed to him. Okay? See, 
think about this for a second. The Apostle Paul, now contextually, this is the fourth letter to the Corinthian church. And this church has literally took his heart out and stomped on it. And yet he keeps pouring himself out to these people. And he says, I've even got a messenger from Satan that has just beaten me stupid, slapping me right upside the head that God gave me. Why? Because I have understood that God's sovereignty is so powerful, he is literally protecting me from exalting myself. But I thought God was God of love. He is. And he will protect you from exalting yourself. Do you understand that what Satan is doing, this messenger of Satan, nothing is there that is not by the permission of Jesus Christ? Do you know, listen, now you, you sit here and you look at Paul, all the rest of it. I look at every single one of you today, and some of you are in tough places. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are physically hurting. Some of you are emotionally hurting, but you're hurting and all the rest of it. And do you know that none of it is by, without the permission of Jesus Christ? And how do you know that he ain't right now at this very moment saying, do you not understand that my grace is only sufficient? You have no need for these things. You have no need for these things. Satan Satan attacks our lives, but he only does it with God's permission. It's God's sovereign hand. The book of Job shows us that emphatically. Now think about the book of Job. It starts out with an amazing statement. How about Job, my righteous servant? He was the most righteous man in the East. I don't line up. And God allowed that to happen to his righteous servant? See, uh, you, you, we like to quote this, especially when you're trying to help somebody. Are right, you trying to help somebody? We always do this. What you meant for evil, God uses for good. Right? We don't want to do that? Well, think it to your own personal life and ask yourself this. Is it for your good and His glory? Or is it for your glory and His good? Christendom has literally twisted that thing, haven't we? If I've got a big church... We have a church growth program. I wrote a book. I wrote a Bible study on it. I did a video. I got an audio. I got a CD. I got, you know, whatever. I go down the line. I'm dealing with all this stuff, right? Why? Because I, but I'm a humble man. But this is my ministry. Probably is. For it probably is not God's. See, Job was righteous. And what happened to Job was for Job to see what God does. But then, you've got to understand that the book of Job is the oldest book of the Bible. And being the oldest book of the Bible, that's laid out for you and I to have. So that when bad things happen, don't always sit there and go, uh-oh. Why? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What does that mean? How many of you want to walk through that bugger? But here's the problem. Word that we always drop out when we're trying to exegete that text. Through. Through. He doesn't say around. He doesn't say over. He doesn't say under. He doesn't say bypass. Can I take the toll road around the valley of the shadow of death? He says, you will what? Through it. But the Lord is still my shepherd. Even if I am through it. Why? His grace is sufficient. 
Listen, when it comes pain, physical, emotional, when it comes, you may be in it, but when it comes, oh, this, if you're not in it now, it will come. God has an intent for it. There's a purpose for it. And it is so simple. That pain, that heartache, that suffering, that is for your good, His glory. Every time. All right? So, first of all, challenge. When I'm in this life of grace, I'm walking in this grace. His grace saved me. His grace sanctified me. His grace allows me to serve. And His grace will be there in my suffering. When it comes, I share not the glory. It is Christ and Christ alone. Two, I understand the sovereignty of God in this situation. Three, I like this one. Verse 9, verse 8, I'm sorry. Concerning this, I implored the Lord. You know what that is? I prayed. First, touch not the glory. Second, understand His sovereignty. Third, get on your knees, brother. If you're on your knees, it's a lot harder to get knocked down. Okay? I like that this is in here. Pray. Paul prayed about it. I have a messenger from Satan who is slapping me upside the head. It hurts. It's like us, isn't it? We get into it, buddy. We become the most awesome prayer warriors that the world has ever seen. I mean, we get calluses on our knees in the whole nine yards. When the pain comes, the physical or the emotional, you know what Paul's telling you and me? It's okay to ask for its removal. You want it removed? I want mine removed. Oh, I know you guys. I'm glad. When I get into pain, whether it's emotional or it's physical, I get on my knees because I want it gone. Get me out of this. I didn't do this. I remember a situation about a year and a half ago. It was awful. My wife understands what I was going through. Uh, Matt understands. A few people who were involved. It was awful. I remember one time getting on my knees saying, go ahead, crucify me. It's easier. At least in crucifixion, I'll know that the end is in sight. You know what he did? My grace is sufficient. I was studying 2 Corinthians. When the pain comes, listen, there's nothing wrong with praying for it to be removed. But listen, you don't need to be a martyr. You don't have to be a martyr. I see Christians who like to be martyrs. Oh, poor, pitiful me. This is just awful. But let me tell you something. Paul says, you know, it's okay to ask. But asking needs to be done in view of what is God doing? What is God's plan? His activity? What is His interest in in this, this place that I'm in? Listen, I can look at every one of you in this room right now. And I know that uh, all of you have something that you're dealing with that is a heartache. Okay, it could be the heartache. It could be physical. You know, I know Ron went to the dentist there and there's no dentist in heaven. Okay, that's that gnashing of teeth you hear. Okay, they're down there with the little drills going for eternity. But anyway, I I, I understand that it could be physical. It can be emotional. But am I looking at it in view of, Lord, get my butt out of this thing? Or am I looking at it saying, Lord, what is your purpose and how will your grace be manifested how will your abilities and resources be manifested in this situation again am i on mission what is the mission he wants 
Okay? Let me tell you something. If you go to prayer over these times of tribulation, these times of heartache, with asking yourself, am I on mission? Am I refusing not to share the glory? Am I looking and longing for God's sovereignty? In the middle of my prayer, I guarantee your life will change. How many of us go into prayer and say, Lord, what is best in accomplishing your purpose, your plan, your glory? How many of us pray that way? What's best here for your plan, your purpose, your glory? But look what he says. He says he stopped. He stopped praying for it. Why? He knew the answer. I see people who pray for stuff and they don't. I want to know your will. Read his book. (laughs) He reveals his will in his book. It's really kind of cool. My will for you is your sanctification. Oh, hmm, I wonder what that is. Okay. It's not complicated. But he said, I understood the answer. When he understood the answer, what was Paul's response to this pain? This being struck upside the head by a messenger of Satan. He stopped. He stopped. Why? He said, here's your agenda, Lord. This is your agenda. Oh, hey, great. This is wonderful. It will come to a point in living with this thorn was more productive in accomplishing your mission than removing this thorn. Oh, I get it now. I get it now. Let me ask you a question. Are you interested in the mission? Making disciples of all nations. As I'm going, making disciples of all people. Am I interested in that? Okay. Let me ask you, phrase it this way a little bit. Just tweak that question just a little bit, all right? Does it have a place of value in my life to make these disciples? Does it have a place of of value? Or is it more important my comfort? Or God's purpose. Paul says, I prayed three times. Then he says, you know what? I took the prayer off the table. I already had it done. Now listen. You've got to get a hold of that. Please get a hold of that. This, this hit me like a ton of bricks. Now listen. If you already understand this, act like you just learned it, okay? All right? But if you just get a hold of that for a second, I guarantee you it will rock your world. He says, I prayed three times, but I wanted your purpose. I wanted your will. Have you ever read Luke's gospel? 22nd chapter or Matthew's gospel, the 26th chapter. There's a picture in there of of a man and he goes three times. And he says, take this cup from me if there's any other way but not my will your will how many times did he go how how many three now let me ask you a question do you think Jesus was trying to figure out what God's will was hmm I'm figuring that somewhere before the foundations of the earth he knew what the will was what do you think? Or he just woke up on earth one day and said, what in the world? <laughs> right? 
When by the time he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, you figure that Jesus has got the will thing figured out. So why does he go and note it down in holy writ that take this cup if there be another way? Well, God, while I was down here acting human, did you come up with another plan? Nope. Why is it there? For we would know. We would know. Why? Go three times. Take it from me. But in the process of these three times, oh, please, show me your purpose. Your will. Be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, I want that. I want that now. Well, what if it means somebody, a messenger from Satan, just slapping you upside the head? Lord, give that will to somebody else. And let me have door number two. No, it's right there now. Why? Because I want you to understand that my grace is sufficiency. See, living grace, and at the end, uh, in, in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 41, he, the third time he, he went back and prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Do you know what? There's a verse there, a little phrase. It's just a dangling participle. No, it's just a little phrase that's tied in there that many of you and I just miss. An angel of the Lord came and strengthened him. I like that. But do you understand you don't get the strength of the heavenlies until you are in the weakness of the earthlies? And in my weakness, he is strong. Okay. I've actually heard people say, you ever heard this? If it be your will, do this. I have literally heard people say that that is a faithless prayer. Okay, because we're supposed to play with confidence. Okay, let me share with you something. How did Jesus pray? Be your will. It'd be your will. Of verse 8, concerning these, I implored the Lord three times that this might leave me. And he says, oh, I have an answer for you. Paul prayed, Jesus prayed in a, in a confidence. And the confidence was this, I want to know your will. I want to know your purpose, your plan, your intentions. Why? Because I know that when I figure those out, then your grace is going to be absolutely sufficient. Lord, I'm asking. Lord, I'm in a war down here. This is awful down here. I'm physically hurting. Lord, I'm emotionally hurting. Help me remove this. I need some R&R. Can I get a redeployment? I'm in the middle of something here. Can I get a, 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 a section eight? Give me something. Give me out of this thing. Wrestling with God. In the middle of that, am I willing to hear what he says? That, Lord, I need a clear path for your accomplishments. What are you trying to accomplish here? In that prayer, not my will. In that prayer, his will. That is a prayer of faith but it doesn't say hey listen there's times do i know his specific will for everything no but there's times he'll reveal it i mean the will of god is your sanctifications first thessalonians oh that makes sense all right cool 
So when I make a decision or I'm in the middle of something, how will I become holier out of this? Help me. Help me. Your prayer must be in the backdrop of God's plan. What is God's plan? Make disciples, teaching them what I have taught you. Do you understand that? Do you understand? I can look at this whole group of people here and everybody's come from a different uh, lifestyle, a different things have happened in your life. Do you know that that happened through God's sovereignty so that you can help strengthen other saints of God to show the faithfulness of God, the glory of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the will of God? And then if the lost people sit there and scratch their head and said, wow, man, how did you go through that like that? To the power of the Lord. Come follow me. Why? I follow Jesus. Jesus prayed three times. How many of us pray for the temporal? How many pray for situations? How many have prayed to get us out? Okay, but how many of you pray in view of the mission? Whatever the, the, the mission is simple. Make disciples. Paul isn't praying, remove this, that I may be comfortable. Paul prayed, what will this accomplish? And if your will be accomplished, then I know your grace is sufficient. Fourth thing, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. I need to yield to Christ's abilities. To Christ's strength. Okay? Your weakness. Please get a hold of this. Spiritual gifts are not talents. Spiritual gifts are not abilities. I do not like speaking in front of crowds. I don't like it. I sweat. My hands sweat. My feet sweat. Everything about me just gets nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. I just can't take it. And yet God says, that's good. You're perfect. That's right where I need you. Why? The day that I walk up here and I think I can do this, my last one. The man that can walk up behind the pulpit and says, I'm speaking for God is a fool. Okay? Your weaknesses. Let me tell you something. I stand up here and really believe I can change your soul. You know what? I'm smart enough to know that I know I can't even lead you to salvation. If I can't lead you to salvation, how in the world can I ever make you holy? I can't. Does, do we really believe that I can change a heart? Oh, mercy. Listen, we must have a life that it sets in one position, one position only, desperate for Christ, Period. I'm just desperate for Christ. Help! Help! I was reading a book, Book of the Martyrs. talked about James, the Lord's brother. He wrote the book of James in your Bible. They called him camel knees. I thought, well, that's flattering. Okay, I've seen a camel. Ooh, that's some ugly knees. You know why? He prayed all the time. They literally said he had calluses on his knees. You know what prayer shows me? Unequivocal humility. I can't, therefore help me. 
See, prayer takes the place out of going to your union steward, takes the place of going out of your financial planner, takes the place of going to your employer, takes the place of going to your spouse, it takes the place of going to your children, it takes the place to, to your spiritual guru, it takes the place of all that other weird stuff that you go to that you try to get some hope out of. Prayer says, God, I've stepped into hopelessness, please help me. I beg you, help me. Why? I don't have anything else. I've run out of strings. God says, perfect. You're right where I got you. You're right where I need you. It's not just staying in the game. I see Christians today who are just staying in the game. They're not batting. They're not catching. They're just staying in the game. But how many are using the abilities and the resources to overcome? They're only the abilities and the resources of heaven. Grace will only carry you in the, and in the midst of that grace, it will be Jesus' power, His abilities, His power, His resources are seen, they are released when you are where? Weakest. Weakest. Why? Who gets the glory? He does. The power of God raised Jesus from the dead, seated Him at the right hand of of God in the heavenlies. That's some serious power, people. His strength is realized to the greatest degree in you and my greatest weakness. Now listen, that, that can either be physical or that can be emotional. Either one, he says, my grace is sufficient and it will overwhelm you. And it, we sing the deep, deep love of, and it's vast as the oceans. You know how vast the oceans are? I flew over them at like 600 miles an hour and thought, when am I going to run out of water? That is, a, and I don't know how deep it was from an airplane. It just looks deep. And yet his resources, his grace, his abilities are beyond even that. If I am in his will, then whose abilities? You got that? See how that works? If I'm not in his wills, then whose abilities? Are you more concerned about your entertainment, your vacation, your retirement? Your camping trip, your hunting trip, your fishing trip, your date, your movies, your whatever it is. Is that that's your biggest concerns? Then I know you're not operating in the power of God. I know you're not considered about... Listen, if you think the favor of God is your pleasure, then you need to go to Matthew 5 and read what the blessings are blessed is he blessed is he blessed is he and that word blessed makairo right that means happy happy people okay there'd be happy people so you just take that word blessed down i'm not going to read it to you i'm gonna let you go back and look at it if you think that it's your happiness and your bed of roses and all the rest of it you go to matthew 5 and it has these blessed blessed is this blessed is that blessed is this blessed is that you go through there but i want you to put happy in there because he'll say you're happy and you are a beggar in spirit. Why? Whose abilities are you operating in? Are you on mission? Have you yielded to his ability? Philippians 4.13 says this. I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. What would all things be? 
Okay, so we miss some of that because we, we, we miss... Uh, verse 19 says, My God shall provide all your needs according to His riches. According to His riches. you ever understand what that is? It's according to His riches. Not out of His riches. It's according to His riches. So it'll only be based on who He is. Ooh, that gets overwhelming. Okay? But it's prayer. It's prayer. Your will. Help me. Understand. Last thing. Invest in Christ. Um, what I kind of mean by invest in Christ, the value of His power. Do I understand the value of His power? It'd be like being in His economy. We talk about the economy. We're at Christmas now, and the economy is all going to be good because we're in Christmas. I still haven't figured out how that is. But anyway. Okay. Am I in His value? Do, do ministry another um, way... And it will be outside of his system, outside of his economy. Okay? My grace, he says in verse 9, is sufficient for you. For the power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, here comes Jesus' economy. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. See, God's power is released to the greatest where? In conflict. In the war. The physical and the emotional. It's in that war. He says, I want to boast in my infirmities. Let me tell you how weak I am. He's on mission. The power of Christ. What? The power of Christ may rest in me. It literally means to dwell. The power of Christ will be at home in me. It's the same thing you see in Ephesians chapter 3. That Christ may dwell in you, be at home in you in the inner man. How many of us want out of the pain? Or do you want to boast in the pain so the power of Christ is released? Grace of God knocking at your door so that the power of God will be released through you. And you got to get a hold of this. If that's true, then think about this for a second. It's going to rest on me. Okay? Then he says the first will be last. How many of us are willing to do that? How many of us are willing to do that? Are you, he says to Timothy, he says, you will be persecuted if you walk in my righteousness. You will be persecuted. People will get mad at you. They don't like you. They get, it gets funky. Why? Because why? You represent who? Christ. And they murdered him. You want out of the pain? When you are pressed by the world, what comes out? Think about God's wisdom. I want you to just think about this for a minute because I, we're done. But I want you to just ponder this for a minute. He says... Here's, let me expose to you my, my wisdom versus man's wisdom. Man's wisdom says the king shall send his people to defend him. God says my wisdom is I'll die for my people. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, the foolishness of the cross. It's a foolish message. It's a silly message. You know what's silly about the message? It's, you know what's even more silly than the message? Look at his messengers. He says, I'm not even going to take 
the charismatic speakers, the powerful orators. I'm going to take the fools. Okay? It's through a feeble vessel. We have this treasure, this precious treasure, Paul says in the first of second Corinthians, and it's in a clay pot. It's in an earthen vessel. That's that pot that you took the waste water, the waste of the house out, and you threw it over the back of the hill. You weren't worried about saving that pot. Why? Because he says in chapter 3, he says, I'm just going to transform you from glory to glory. That's all. That's all. When I look at this and I see what he does, then my question has to be immediately, what do we do? All right, and I'm going to quickly give you what we do. Okay? What do we do? For everything you've seen so far, we've been delivered from lie to truth. We've been delivered from sin to righteousness. We've been delivered from temporal to the eternals, right? We have grace for salvation. We have grace for sanctification. We have grace for service. We have grace even in our sufferings. What is it we are to do? The Apostle Paul says it this way. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and you be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do abundantly beyond all we could ask or think according to the power that works within him. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Now I have to ask you one question. That's us. Grace has given us the abilities and the resources of heaven. It's already there right now. Already there. We have them right now. But that's God's economy. That's the way God says to do it. And he will take a foolish message, the cross, and he will take foolish messengers preaching to get his message across. Let me tell you something. I love you guys. I love you very much. But there is no other plan. There's no part B. That's how he's going to do it. Nothing has changed. Your responsibility? Be strengthened in the inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand the depth of his love. Oh, by the way, that surpasses knowledge. And then God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine. And anything short of that, you're doing it. And when you do it, you might as well take the glory because that will be your reward. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the amazing things you continue to do. Lord, I just I lift up your church. Father, all of your church, the whole church, the amazing church. Lord, I just praise you for her. Father, I praise you that she is a supernatural entity. Father, I praise you that she... Is your incarnation. She is knitted together by the power of your spirit. She is supernatural. She has your word and she guards it. Father, she uses her, your word through prayer, through supernatural giftedness to strengthen others for the work of ministry. Father, may we be on fire for you. May we be so weak, Lord, 
that the only thing we have is you. Father, make us desperate. Make us desperate for you. And may we cling to you. Father, I just praise you for this time. I praise you for your word. I praise you for this piece of study that we've been through. Lord, we give you the praise. You change hearts. You change souls. You change lives. Father, when we walk from this place, may we understand your grace is sufficient for all things. To your glory. Amen.